Thank you for joining us today. My name is Brad Miller, and this is the Chronically Human Podcast, where we have discussions aimed at creating a better world with more individual freedom and less unnecessary suffering. Today, our guest is Scott Ratliff. He plays for the Archers in the PLL, which is the Professional Lacrosse League, and they start their inaugural season June 1st on NBC Sports. We discuss how he got into lacrosse, the spiritual side of the sport, as well as his charitable work as co-founder of the Give and Go Foundation. His foundation provides lacrosse equipment and training to kids in underserved areas around the world. Scott and I also talk about the incredible lessons and virtues that play in sports, in particular lacrosse, provides kids and how it helps them to deal with stress, learn responsibility, improve their overall health and well-being, and helps to set them up to become more successful later in life. Scott also has a great YouTube channel called Rat Chat, where he talks about the lessons he's learned playing lacrosse and how they can help individuals lead a happier and more productive life. To improve my health and well-being, I choose to take Kratom. The only brand of Kratom I trust is from naturalorganics.com. That's naturalorganics spelled O-R-G-A-N-I-X, Dot com. You can use the promo code chronicallyhuman20 to get 20% off your next order. Thanks for joining us today, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Thank you, Scott, for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, definitely. Um, I want to talk to you about your Give and Go Foundation, and I also want to talk about um, your YouTube channel, Rat Chat. I really enjoyed watching those. And to get your thoughts on the Premier Lacrosse League that kicking off in June, but before we do that, I've heard a rumor that the that the team that you play for, the Archers, is actually named after Sterling Archer. Is is there any validity to that rumor? <laughs> I don't think so. Although I was not uh, I was not involved in the naming process, so I'll have to uh, I'll have to take that one up the ladder for you. Okay, well, let us know. Okay, that's that's just what I've heard. Um, you know, I'm a fan of lacrosse. I'm just getting into the sport, and that's due to my nephew, Ben. He plays, and so I've gone to see his games, and my brother actually coaches uh, his local team. Now, what do you think, why did you get into the sport, and what drove you to not only get into it, but take it to the professional level, and then also start giving back at the uh, with coaching and also with your Give and Go Foundation? Yeah, absolutely. So I got into lacrosse because of my father. Um, my dad played at the University of Maryland. His story of, of finding lacrosse is actually probably a lot more interesting than mine. He grew up down here outside of Atlanta and you know played football and baseball like, like most growing up here. And in ninth grade, he moved up to, to Baltimore, Maryland, or just outside Baltimore, Hereford High School. And he describes it. He was playing catcher on the baseball team and he was, you know, sitting behind the plate and he could see the lacrosse practice going on in the outfield, you know, behind the outfield fence. And he just thought, man, this is kind of boring just sitting here, like, look at those guys running. He had never seen it before. Um, so at that point, he he switched from baseball and he uh, jumped over to, uh, to lacrosse and started playing and, you know, played through his four years of high school and was a good athlete and ended up at the University of Maryland on a football scholarship. Mm -hmm. So he's at, you know, school early at University of Maryland in the summer and he played in just like the, the men's lacrosse league to, to kind of stay in shape for for football and the football or the lacrosse coach I think was familiar with him from high school and saw him playing in that league and came and said hey we'd love for you to play both um, you know we've got a, a spot on a lacrosse team for you as well and so he went to the football coach at the time and asked if he could do both and the football coach told him no so he quit football and he played lacrosse and you know I heard that story at a really young age from him and he always told me you know two things he said you know one for me, lacrosse was the most fun. You know, football, everybody who's played, I think, knows how fun football games are. But sometimes practice can be a bit of a grind and, and it can get a bit stagnant and standing around like a lot of sports. And so he said, you know, lacrosse was something I love to do every day, practice and games, where football, you know, I really only look forward to the games. Um, and then he said the second thing, and I think this is a um, really relevant issue now. Maybe my dad was ahead of his time, was he mentioned his health. He was like, you know, I, I didn't think the NFL was probably a realistic opportunity. And I'd seen so many guys with bad knees or bad backs or whatever else. And I just thought that, you know, long term playing lacrosse and, and sticking to that would be more fun and, and would be better for me. So he did that. And he obviously fell in love with the sport, which which led to me really growing up with them. I mean, I had a lacrosse stick before I could walk and, and you know started playing in leagues as, as soon as I was old enough. 
Well, fantastic. Well, you know, I think uh, the family is so important with um, getting into the sports. Like it's a family connection for me, but I'm just a fan on the outside. And you talk about health concerns. And do you think that's one of the main reasons why lacrosse is growing so fast is that people um, who might get into football are putting their kids into lacrosse instead? You know, I, I wouldn't say it's one of the main reasons it's growing fast. I, I, as I, you know, the word I used before, I think it's relevant. And I do think there's probably an opportunity for lacrosse to capitalize that on that a little bit. Um, with that being said, you know, lacrosse has concussion problems, as does soccer, as does I, I think people maybe don't always realize that it's, it's not just football um, where those issues exist. Um, but I do think, you know, and, and they're doing a lot of things with the rules in lacrosse to prevent that. And so I think there's an opportunity there. But for me, the reason, you know, it's growing so fast is is how much fun it is. You know, it's fun to watch, and, and more than that, it's really fun to play. And when I was young here in Atlanta, and, and not many of my friends were familiar, you know, what my dad used to say is all we have to do is get them out there to play once, and, you know, they won't stop. And he was right most of the time. You know, we take kids up to the tennis courts and do some two-on-ones and show them how to catch and throw. And, you know, just with how much running and up and down it is, you know, the level of physicality without – maybe so much physicality that can, that can make some people shy away. You know, the, the lots of goals. I just think there's a lot of things about it that are really attractive, not just to play, but also as a fan to watch. Yeah, definitely. That's what I found too, going to local games, especially with my nephew watching him play. He's getting a lot better too. And that's fun to see him progress in the sport. Why do you think uh, specifically lacrosse is a good fit for kids? And what kind of lessons do you think they can learn about life? Or what lessons did you learn that you've taken from lacrosse and applied that into your life? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's too many to count. So, you know, one thing with lacrosse that, that goes back to the heritage of the game and how it started with the Native Americans is they call it the medicine game. And I think lacrosse is a very, very creative sport. You know, we love to talk about no two sticks are the same. You know, every single player on a lacrosse field is unique. Every single stick on a lacrosse field is unique. And so, you know, the, the, the lessons you learn from that and you take from that, well, first is, you know, it's an outlet when you're going through hard times. So as I look back over the course of my life, and I really think this is where, um, when you talk about medicine, at least for me personally, this is where it has served for medicine, uh, as medicine for me is, you know, if you're going through something tough, whether it's with your family, whether it's in school, you know, all the different things, it was always that outlet where you could go out and your mind could be consumed by a sport you know if you're out there and you're not thinking about what you're doing with the stick or what's going on around you you're going to get run over you're going to get hit or you're not going to be able to catch and throw so you know it really captivates you while you play it and um, there's not a whole lot of time to be sitting there thinking about other things and you know I really believe in the power of that and just get being able to get away from your stress a little bit and and to have a creative release where you can press yourself and, and, you know, fully dial in on what you're doing. And that's always helped me, you know, as I, as I mentioned, as I've gone through things in life, you come off the field after a practice and you're much more ready and prepared to kind of tackle what you have to tackle because you do have, you know, that time away from it and you do have that place where you can kind of go and be, be happy and be, you know, be on your own and away from whatever else it is that you're dealing with. So, you know, first and foremost, lacrosse always gave that to me. It always gave me an outlet. You know, anytime I was struggling, the first thing I'd do is grab my stick and go find a wall um you know you don't need you don't need a team you don't need to practice you don't even need a friend you just got to find a wall and, and you can kind of get lost in it so there's certainly that and then there's everything else that comes with team sports you know i've been really lucky to have a really successful career i won a national championship in college here i am you know playing for seven years professionally and i feel like i've lost a million times more than i've won and i think that's really the you know, kind of lost value of, of sports and especially sports in the youth is you learn how to lose. You know, when you're when you're playing, there's so, so many opportunities to make mistakes every single day in practice. Every single game, something's going to go wrong. Every single season, something's going to go wrong. So having these opportunities in a safe environment to, you know, in high emotion, high pressure situations to fail and to try again and to succeed and to kind of learn that, you know, that's been the biggest thing that's helped me in life. As you get out of college and, and you start to move into you know the adult world and, and figuring things out for yourself, all the experiences I had had through being a part of teams, through going through those ups and downs, through you know learning how to overcome adversity, you know that's really paid off, and, and that's why I'm passionate about sharing the sport and passing along those values because I think if you recognize that, that you know why you do still have the opportunity to play, you know it gives you a great chance to develop as a person and, and to grow in your maturity and to grow in your resilience, which um, you know we know is so important in life.
Yeah, definitely. That's great because I've been reading up on sport and the importance of it for kids. And they've been finding out that especially CEOs and people who are successful in business, you know, a lot of times they can trace a lot of those traits that make them successful in business back to team sports or even individual sports. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and again, I really think that that comes back to, to dealing with failure. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't matter what you do in life, you know, the people who can take failure and, and turn it into their fuel and use it the right way and learn from it and keep moving and, and not get stuck um, are a lot of times the people that find success. And, and you just get, again, you get practice doing that um, in any sport over and over and over again. And, you know, I definitely think lacrosse is unique with how much of a team sport it is, the amount of guys that contribute. And then, as I mentioned, you know, the, the creativity and the, the individuality of it where, you know, every player can kind of express themselves guys of all different you know, shapes, sizes, speeds. It doesn't really matter. Um, there's kind of a place for everybody out there. And, and I think that's another unique part of it. Yeah, definitely. It, the individuality of it too. Um, you, you spoke about that, that every stick is different. Can you elaborate on that? Are you talking about the actual stick or are you talking about the players? Of course. No, no, I'm talking about the actual stick. So, um, you know, obviously the, the, you've got the head and the shaft of the lacrosse stick and then within the head, you have the mesh. And so we call that the pocket and that's, uh, that's the part that's different, right? You know, you guys can use the same the same stick, the same head, um, but you know the pocket is strong, so you, so you get some mesh. There's leather, traditional stringings. There's you know a million and one ways, different ways to do that, and every guy typically kind of likes theirs, you know, strung a certain way. And and you know, frankly, it j just like anything else, I think it's probably impossible to string one exactly the same way uh, multiple times in a row. So that's where you just get the individuality is you know in that pocket and, and kind of being able to tweak that to meet your you know, exact likings. And again, if you look across sports, you know, that's kind of a unique thing. I think that gets in some other things are like that. Um, but for everybody to be out there playing with the same stick that can behave so differently, um, you know, I think that brings a cool aspect to it. Yeah, that's, I, I really am fascinated by the gear aspect of it as well, because it seems like there's almost infinite varieties of gear and the different types. And people talk about that a lot, but um, reading about the work that you're doing with the Give and Go Foundation, that you've, you're really focusing on helping kids around the world get into lacrosse. What started you on that path, and what have you learned uh, by doing that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the Give and Go Foundation started about a year ago. Um, a teammate of mine from, from professional lacrosse uh, named Adam Gittleman, who played at the University of Virginia, um, we started that together. And, and you know, it really really came about very organically. Um, I had the opportunity about three years ago, you know, I'd never been out of the country, I, you know, besides maybe a drive into Mexico when I was really young. And my whole life and, and my off time was devoted to lacrosse, you know, and, and through college, you don't have that opportunity to study abroad. And then I graduated college and I'm working and I'm playing professionally. And so it took me about three or four years out of college. And then Adam had, had called and um, right at the same time, he had offered me an opportunity to come down to Nicaragua and work with a nonprofit called Lacrosse the Nations in Managua, where you know it was really you know going into to underserved communities and you know, just bringing them lacrosse as an outlet to get away from from some tough situations and obviously to give them some structure and, and some opportunity to learn you know all these things that we talked about. Um, it, basically, a week apart, I also was invited to go to Japan through an organization called Cross Cross A. Um, so then. This one was a little more, you know, they have some established across the universities and things like that. And they wanted to bring some pro players over to, to run a big camp and do a clinic and, you know, some generate some buzz around the sport. So um, I, I was, you know, I to both of those opportunities. And within a month, um, I took both those trips. I did 10 days in Japan coaching, you know, every single day in a different location there. Um, got back, was home for like two weeks and then off for, for Nicaragua and did a week there um, in Managua, you know, coaching two times a day at two different schools there uh, locally in Managua. And those experiences just really opened my eyes to, you know, not just the importance of travel and, and getting out to different cultures and what that could do for me personally, um, which is a, a big part of giving go as well, which I'll, I'll kind of speak on. But more than that, just it continues to show the impact that lacrosse and, and sports can have in people's lives. And, and whether you're, you know, in an underserved in a third, Third world country and your and you know your family is really struggling or you're you know just a college student in, in a middle class family in Japan but you're looking for something to you know to invigorate you and just to inspire you and to uh, encourage you to work towards you know positive things and I really got a kind of a, a massive introduction to that between these two trips um, and so we decided hey let's keep doing this right we, we we'd like to travel the world we'd like to see all these places what a great way to travel that when we get there, we can meet some locals, we can give back a little bit, coach them a little bit, you know, grow this sport that we love, 
pass along the values that, that we cherish from the sport and at the same time have a ton of fun. So that led to the next trip was a, a trip through Europe and, and uh, some other professional players, Marcus Holman and Will Manny and, and Drew Snyder joined in that and we coached in Portugal. They had about 25 players. They had, they had found the sport from, uh, from the movie American Pie, which is actually... So believe it or not, way more common than you would think when you go to these foreign countries. It's, it's movies is a lot of times where they find it. And then they look up the rules and they start a club. That's and cool. uh, so we coached there. And, and then we went to then we went to Barcelona. And when we got to Barcelona, you know, we had talked to some organizers there and, and knew that they were promoting it and such. But we ended up having almost 70 players from six different countries show up to, to come to this clinic with the six of us. And we did two days, four hours a day. And that was kind of the aha, like, you know, we have something here. There's clearly an appetite. Um, the sport is growing, you know, in Europe. I, I mentioned Asia and, there, you know, there were a ton of players in Japan when we were there as well. Um, it is going all, all over the world. And the biggest thing they don't have access to is coaching. Um, and there was a, another part to this is, you know, a lot of them don't know the story of lacrosse. And, you know, when you're in America or Canada and you talk, talk about what I mentioned, the values of lacrosse and, and you know, the, lacrosse, the way the lacrosse community looks out for each other, um, you know, the importance of it, of it being the medicine game and, and those things. We wanted to make sure that, that as the sport grew, those values grew with it. And so coming and doing these free clinics and obviously sharing it also gave us a platform to teach that and to explain that and, and to try to encourage them to use the sport the right way so that they could get everything out of it that we felt like we had. Um, so we just kept brainstorming and, and Adam and I kind of said, okay, where's next? And we decided Argentina was, was a good place. And we uh, got in touch with the guys who had organized the national team down there. And that was where the, the idea for Give and Go was formed. You know, we had success there again, setting up several clinics, um, had another crazy experience where we're in Chileu in Patagonia in kind of a town that we probably would never have found our way to um, because we're there staying with the cross players. And we did Christmas and New Year's with their family. And, you know, they had a lot of those same values um, in their lacrosse culture there that we had talked about. Um, so that was a, a, an eye-opening experience. And so we came up with the term give and go because, you know, it's what it's all, all about. It's, it's you know, going and, and traveling and, and giving back when you do it and kind of getting that unique experience. So we came up with the foundation and, and, and you know, we've been working. And the, the, the goals with it are, are kind of multiple. So, you know, we take these trips into Central and South America and into third world countries. And again, we're really focused there on supplying them with equipment, bringing them shoes, you know, bringing them set up so that they can play every day, arming the coaches with, with drills and, and helping them to get organized and, and grants with money to get fields and things like that um, are really helpful. Then there's other places like Argentina or like Spain where it has come along a little further. And, and again, it's really about access to coaches. So the more we can get down there and set up free clinics, connect them with you know, students or, or lacrosse players in the States or Canada that would be interested in living abroad for a summer or for a semester and want to coach some youth programs, um, helping to organize and set that up and provide stipends for, for coaches to go do that. You know, that's how we can make the, the biggest impact there. And then the last thing is is the fields. You know, the, the soccer uh, in a lot of these countries kind of dominates the athletic fields. And so helping to, to fund some field space so that they can have practices and run leagues and, and providing them with sticks so they can get it down in the youth that's really where our focus is so it's developed really organically every single time we go on a new trip you know we learn more about what what other uh other countries and other cultures need to help build this sport um but most importantly we just get reminded of the impact it can make you know one clinic and one weekend somewhere and, and kind of seeing somebody that plays the sport at the professional level and hearing them talk about um, what it means to them and how you can use it to, to learn so much about life and about yourself and to develop so many good skills and habits that can help you far beyond the lacrosse field. Um, and then also to join a community that is going to have your back and that is going to take care of you and that's going to say, hey, you know, we're here for you. Um, you know, if you need anything, you don't hesitate to reach out, you know, where we are. And, and that's kind of how the lacrosse world works. Um, we've seen it inspire a lot of people and we've seen it change a lot of habits and a lot of people. Um, and that's really what, you know, what keeps us going. That's, that's fantastic. I was reading a, a little bit about your trip down to Nicaragua, and one of the aspects that I think is, is great what you're doing is that you're using your talents and your passion, which is basically your business because you're a professional athlete, but you're translating that into something, uh, in a, into a, a volunteer-type atmosphere. And I've been reading lately about how the most effective volunteering and charity that we can do is one, voluntary and two is based upon our skill knowledge that we get from our work world and also what we're passionate about. So I think that's exactly, you know, a great model that you guys are doing. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, and you know, for me, it's 
what I've come to realize into my professional career is, is kind of my why with this sport is just the platform that I'm able to get from it. You know, I, I could go down to Nicaragua and I could do service work and I could certainly make an impact. But when I can twirl my stick 15 times and put it over my shoulder and shoot it into a corner, I seem to be able to get people's attention a little bit more. And, and so I obviously love to play and am super competitive and continuing to chase, you know, my goals and dreams as a player. But more than that, you know, my motivation behind continuing to drive myself up in this sport is you know it gives me a platform to share like I mentioned the, the values that I really believe can be taken it you know from lacrosse and that's again learning to overcome failure that's you know taking care of, of the people around you and the people in your community and, and always making an effort to give back to those people and, and then it's you know the, the aspect of using it as medicine and getting away from the stress of life and and kind of having a place to express yourself and and that's all really important and impactful things in my life so you know it only it only elevates the way that I love the sport because it does give me the platform to go share these messages with, with people all over the world. And, you know, I've grown from every one of these trips and, and that's kind of that other part to give and go is it's not just about who we're, you know, these countries and we're going and we're helping them. I mean, out of it, in my opinion. And so if we can set up, you know, more American or Canadian lacrosse players who maybe don't have the platform that we do to be able to just pop around and set up clinics and get them these same experiences of, okay, you could go to Paris and, see all the sites and do that or you could go there for two days and then you could take a train 45 minutes out into a town you never heard of and coach across and meet people there and stay with them and go out to eat with them and really you know learn about the culture um that can do a lot for i think uh american kids and and you know frankly you so many people in the sport come from privileged backgrounds and things like that so we think it's really valuable for them to for more people to have these opportunities to travel and, and be humbled and learn and, and do some of those things and I think two things that you talked about there, it's a gratitude on the side of the people who are actually coaching, you know, that they're, they're feeling gratitude for the opportunities, not only they've had in this country, but helping other people have opportunities as well. And then you, you guys are bringing hope to a lot of people who are in some really tough spots, especially in Central and South America. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's definitely about bringing hope. And, and again, just, just bringing structure, you know, lacrosse the nations is, the organization that we partner with for most of our trips down there, I'll actually be going down to uh, to Bocas del Toro in Panama, where they have their their other programs set up to, to coach on their behalf. And you know they've seen it work. They've seen kids who you know otherwise would have had a hard time probably getting out of the communities they're in. You know commit to this sport and they're playing it before school. They're playing it after school. You know they're getting introduced to coaches through it that have kind of gone on and been able to leave that neighborhood, and they're getting more opportunities. You see kids getting college scholarships. You see kids taking English classes and then getting jobs with it where they're able to, to um, make a little bit more money because of those skills. So that, again, is really what it's about for them. And, and that resonates so much with myself and with Adam and, and, frankly, anybody really that's playing lacrosse at this level is we understand it. Like w without the sport, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today at all. And, and not just obviously as a professional player, but just as a person in, in my development. And so it makes perfect sense to, to anybody who's, you know, grew up playing sports and, and learned those things out of it, it, how important it is for kids to have those opportunities. And, and that's obviously what lacrosse the nations is, is giving them. And with Give and Go, it's really about using our platform to support or organizations that are on the ground in these countries making an impact every day and, and lacrosse the nations is definitely one of them well that's fantastic because a lot of people when they hear about like a, a, a sport charity that's going around helping kids play lacrosse or giving away sticks or helmets i think that people really underplay or or don't appreciate the role that sports has in a child's life especially at a young age that you can get them early and that you can uh, build structure and one thing too that i've seen with my nephew ben is that he's really learning the importance of practice over and over and over again. Are you seeing that with your, your kids as well, that that discipline carries over to other things in their life? Uh, absolutely, and that's, that's a huge part of it. And again, I think when we travel and teach it in places where it's not as ingrained in the culture to, to competitively compete at this, it's something they're doing as a hobby and, and uh, that there's still a ton of value in that. But when you can go and inspire them to, hey, this is something that I can work at to get better. And, and, you know, the world championships and the national teams are really the way to do that in these countries, whether it's Nicaragua, Costa Rica. You know, there, there's ways to get organized and set up national teams, whether it's U19 or whether it's, you know, at the, at the highest level. And obviously with the Olympics, I think that will help that. But you can give them a path. You can give them something to chase. And, you know, we we 
sometimes we have the same thought, you know, we're traveling, we're having the time of our life with, with some of our best friends. And it's like, how, you know, this is, this is our nonprofit, like this is too good to be true, but you do the clinic and there's a line of five to 10 guys or girls that are coming up to you after the clinic and telling you how much it means to them. You know, I, I'm constantly getting messages from people I've worked with in the past in other countries. You know, I did a, about a month long tour through Europe and, and coached in seven different countries. And you know, I'm hearing from them saying, I've been in the gym three days a week since you left. You know, I've been doing this, you know, three, four days a week working towards this goal. I've lost this much, this much amount of weight. And what I obviously understand is like, let's go chase it, get on your national team, do that. But really what you're learning about yourself and showing that you can have the discipline to work this hard towards something that you can learn how to practice at a certain level towards a sport, it's going to go well beyond, you know, what you actually do in lacrosse. You're going to be able to take that same skill set and apply it to your family, to your job, to whatever it else, you know, it is that you want to apply. And I'm just so grateful for that because you get out of college and it's hard for a lot of young people to, to figure out what to do. But when you come from an environment where you're used to working six days a week, you know, where you're used to, to being in the gym and to spending a majority of the time in your day between school and practice, it's not that much of a shell shock when you're jumping into the working world and, and you're held to that same level of, of expectation. Yeah, that's a that's a great point about practicing practicing basically that you're practicing discipline by practicing discipline. So that's 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 I think that's very important. When I was little, it was either uh, baseball or basketball. I played baseball when I was younger, uh, but today it seems like it's soccer or lacrosse. It seems like lacrosse is just exploding right now across the country. Uh, are you seeing? Do you think that is because of the history of lacrosse? Do you think that has a lot to do with it? about how it is a Native American sport and that there are those spiritual values attached to it. You know, I believe that that's a big part of the retention with it. You know, I, again, I think for the growth, there's just so many different things you can point at, um, at, at why it's kind of finally catching on and growing because it, it actually is the, the oldest sport, in, you know, in the United States. But um, but I do think that that part of it is, is a massive part of the retention. I just think the culture of the sport is one that, you know, once you do play it, and I've, I've already mentioned having fun, but once you really do learn these values and, and really once you get to experience it, you know, once you go th through something and see the way the lacrosse community kind of has each other's back. And, and I think that's shown up in, in um, you know, nonprofits like Headstrong Fund, you know, Ken Clausen and the Corlori family has done a, such a good job with that. Um, but you just see over and over and over again examples of the community, the, the, how close the lacrosse community is. And, you know, it's massive now. It's not such a niche sport, as you mentioned, anymore. But it really hasn't lost that that closeness. And it really hasn't lost those values of being the medicine game um, um, and of, of always looking out for So I think that's a big part of when people join the sport, they stay in it. And, and a lot of times, just as you're describing, you know, all it takes is one member of a family to join. And now all three brothers all three brothers and sisters are playing and the parents are you know subscribing to, to lacrosse all-stars and doing whatever else so you can see how quickly it grows uh, once people get community is like um, I think it's rare that they leave it yeah definitely and I think too that once you start playing I think even just throwing the lacrosse ball around is a lot of fun so so it's kind of an ancillary effect you have people in your family playing but then you'll pick up a stick and start tossing around with them so you feel like you're part of the community too if you have a dog you you, you need a lacrosse stick I, like there is no better i've seen all these little fetch devices that people use there is no better fetch device than a than a lacrosse stick so my my pup every time i pick up my stick you know he gets fired up and and my dad you know I'm, my, my sister and i are, are growing and out of the house and uh, my mom is still working and my dad's retired so i drop i drop my dog leo off to play with him and that's my dad's catch buddy. You know, they go up to the tennis courts and he throws the balls and Leo will run it back. And, um, you know, I think he still gets that same medicine out of it. Just like you said, just using the stick to, to play fetch. So um, I, I would encourage more people to, to give that a try because uh, it is an easy way. You don't have to bend over to pick up the ball anymore. Yeah, that's great, especially for older folks, too. Like if they're trying to find something to, to stay active at, you know, if you don't have if you got bad knees or something like that, you don't have to bend over. You don't have to worry about your back as much as some of this other stuff. Yep. And that actually kind of brings up, uh, you know, one of the other challenges with growing the sport, which is the cost, you know, it's an expensive fetch stick if you're going to, if you're going to buy a lacrosse stick for that. And, you know, that's a, that's another place that give and go is, is obviously trying to step up. And again, more than anything else for us, there's so many people in the lacrosse community that want to help that have extra equipment that have old stuff, 
but they just don't, you know, have the 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 means to get it where it needs to go, or, or they don't know know where you know where it can really make an impact. So um, that's another place we're really focused through Give and Go is is you know just being a place where I'm I'm sitting on top of my basement that I'm planning to just fill with donatable gear and, and, you know, we can load duffel bags and take it with us when we go on these trips. And, you know, all it takes is again, one team's worth of, of sticks and pads, and then you can give it to a school or to a program who can keep it. And so they can cycle years worth of kids through this equipment um, and, and really start to generate some youth leagues. So the gear donation is a huge part. And we're not just focused on international communities with that. You know, we are also focused on underserved communities here domestically because there are a lot of places um, where, where lacrosse is starting and wants to gain some traction, but they just don't have the equipment or the means to get it. So um, that's another huge thing for us. So anybody that's out there and listening and has that old gear um, laying around in their basement or, or something like that, you know, we're, uh, we're a landing spot for that. So please don't hesitate to, uh, to reach out. Well, that's that's a great point that people I think a lot of people want to help and want to do something for others but like you said they don't know where to put their efforts and they don't know who to trust when it comes to charities because a lot of times people feel like if they give money you know who knows what that's going to happen to that but if they're given equipment then I think they a lot of people would feel better about giving equipment that will be used for you know maybe generations of uh, people getting into the sport yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and, and a lot of times it's just as valuable as I mentioned. Every everywhere we go, there's different needs and and wants, and you know something we focus on is is making sure that a hundred percent of all donations are going directly to you know what we're calling underserved lacrosse communities. So not necessarily not necessarily underserved communities, but communities where the lacrosse program does not have the organization, the structure, the financing, the equipment that they need. Um, and, and just like you mentioned, you know, the, a lot of the financial backing will go directly to places that need that. We'll go to these third world countries. Um, we'll go to organizations like Lacrosse the Nations that have feet on the ground and are working there every day. And then a lot of these equipment donations can really go directly to places where they're going to grow the game, where it's going to impact the number of people playing. And, and I think that, again, anybody who, who plays the sport has kind of adapted that mantra of grow the game and knows how important and how valuable that is for all of us. So, um, you know, we found that people are, are really willing to help and it's, you know, it's moved us along much quicker than we even anticipated with, with giving go. You know, we, we came up with the idea, um, uh, actually on a really sad day for us. Unfortunately, uh, our coach at the time, Dave Huntley had passed away and he's a legend in lacrosse. He, uh, he grew the sport in Canada and America. He was Canadian and coached their national team indoor, outdoor, and so he was a big part of the inspiration behind it. And, um, you know, we kind of became an official organization one year to the day later um, when we got our kind of letter back from the IRS that we had been approved as a nonprofit. So, so it's cool to see how fast that's come along and, and to be able to do that. And, you know, that just goes, you know, really shows the lacrosse community willingness to, to get behind it and to support this and to see the value in bringing this sport, you know, more places and, and giving more people the opportunity to play it. That's fantastic, definitely. And I think, too, that you talk about the cost of the sport, and I think early adopters a lot of times bear the cost of R&D, and they develop a market. So the people who buy, like, the first plasma TV might have paid $30,000 for it, but now you can get one for, like, $300. And so as the sport grows, I think the yep. economics are going to really change. And I think you're already seeing that with, with different companies that are starting to put out these products at a much cheaper price. The starter sticks, you know, Strinking does a great job of that. STX, you know, Warrior with their warp. And, and so a lot of these, you know, lacrosse companies have been eager to support us and to get behind us as well. Because obviously, as the sport grows out across the world, they'd love to get their products in these guys' hands. And then more than that, they also see the value in, in helping it to grow. And they're focused on developing really good starter products. You know, that was... A big issue with retention um, was, you know, if the sticks aren't strung well, we, we talked about the mesh, and it doesn't throw right, it can be very, very hard to use that thing. So, you know, getting good starter sticks in people's hands where it is going to throw right so the kids can use it correctly and enjoy it and have fun, uh, that's an important thing. And you, I think you've seen, you know, again, across the board, um, lacrosse companies have stepped up and, and have started to produce, you know, really well-strung sticks at affordable costs. Um, and I think that's going to make a big impact in, in helping uh, uh, the numbers grow. That's fantastic. Here at the Chronically Human podcast, we believe in the free market system. We believe in competition. And we believe that when people are free to innovate and to voluntarily do what they want to do in life, you know, good things happen for everybody. So I think that's 
That's, that's part of the story of lacrosse, I think, is that the free market in America allowed for the innovation and for the, uh, for the means to make that happen, and now you're spreading it around the world. And I think along with lacrosse, a lot of those same values that drive the, the American free market system are really attached or embedded in the, the lacrosse virtues as well. Yeah, uh, and I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. I completely agree. And and I think again, you've the the power of lacrosse to to take that culture as it grows, you know, corporately and as there's a lot more money behind it. And you're seeing that with the PLL and the national media attention that it's going to get. You know, it is going to go through uh, what it seems a, a very intense kind of growing period here, especially lacrosse at the professional level. Um, but to have leaders in the sport that are driven by those same values um, gives you a lot of hope and, and a lot of pride in, in being able to follow them and, and be a part of the movement. And I think, too, I look at lacrosse like uh, I wasn't a real early adopter with the UFC, but I, I got into the UFC after it was sold. I don't know if you follow MMA at all, but uh, with the UFC, you know, it, it went through exponential growth once the Fertitas bought it. You know, and that was that was a time frame where that was extremely niche. And I'm not saying lacrosse and cage fighting are the same thing at all. But as far as like a niche sport goes, I think lacrosse is on that same trajectory to get to that level. You know, the UFC was sold for $4.4 billion, I think, you know, last year or the year before. And what do you think about the prospects of lacrosse becoming America's sport? Yeah, I mean, I think you're, I think that's a great comparison, first off. You know, and, and if you look at what Paul and Mike, you know, have done with the PLL, they have studied those leagues. You know, they, they, they've been very open about that. They're looking at event-based models. They're looking at UFC. They're looking at Surf League. They're looking at, you know, Rob Deerdeck Skate League. And what's unique about the PLL is it's the first team sport to really adopt this kind of model. But he, he has such a or we have such a unique opportunity to you know, start from scratch to say, hey, all these existing leagues, major team sports leagues have been around for so long there's probably a lot of things they're doing that you know if you were starting today they they would do differently and so you know he's done an incredible job and really you know there is no better leader in my eyes for us to kind of drive us forward than than paul and his brother mike at really embracing that idea of a modern sports league and what does that look like and how can we best capitalize on it and you know i think you've seen the success of these individual sports but typically, you know, America loves team sports. If you look at the most popular ones, you know, tennis and boxing and things over the years, but it's football, it's baseball, it's basketball um, that are those major sports. And so I think lacrosse does have an opportunity to kind of fill in, you know, I think setting your eyes on one of those big fours is probably a, a little ways out, but to fill in as kind of that team, that niche team sport, much like the major league soccer has done to kind of rise up and, and capitalize on social media, capitalize on digital um, you know, capitalize on the appetite for something new and kind of the dissatisfaction that is occurring um, with the NFL and with some of the other major leagues. And you know, I, I think it's going to take time, but I, you've already seen, you know, this offseason, you're seeing lacrosse on ma major media news networks way more, um, whether it's college highlights or profiles of college players or, it's you know, clips online going viral. Um, there's clearly been an uptick in that. And I think that's absolutely a result of what Paul and Mike have been able to do and the buzz that they've been able to to draw behind lacrosse and <clears throat> frankly the buzz has been less about you know the players and the quality and the sport of lacrosse and more about the business model and the plan that they're putting together to to create this modern professional sports league and um again i, do, I think that's just that's really cool and it's something that all of us are really excited to be a part of because we know um you know we know we can do on the field and we know that it's going to be an exciting product so if we can just find a way to get those eyes on us i think we all believe that that we'll be able to drive it forward yeah and with the premier lacrosse league it's a it's a totally different model than the other big uh, team sports uh, now if i understand it correctly do you guys have a like a home city you're attached to with the archers or is it just that you guys are going to travel around starting june 1st in boston and have like a weekend of lacrosse where everybody plays yeah, that's correct. So no home city. So they set it up where it's, you know, it's Archer's Lacrosse Club, right? Or Redwood's Lacrosse Club, Atlas Lacrosse Club. So no home city that the teams are attached to. And essentially it'll be a, a tour-based model. So there's six teams. Um, the structure of the teams will be consistent with what people are used to. You're signing multi-year contracts. You have your coach who's also serving as your GM and your assistant coaches. You know, the team will stay together, will practice together. There'll be trades and everything else like that. So it'll function very much like what, what you're used to seeing at a team sports. You'll play a game a week. You'll have the standings. You'll have the all-star game. Team will make the playoffs. Team will make the, the championship. What's different is that 
every weekend, all the games will be in one location. So as you mentioned, we're starting June 1st up in Foxborough and, and have partnered with, with the Patriots and the Crafts up there. And um, they'll, play, they'll play three games. So Saturday, you know, first game, and I'm spitballing times here. So, so for the Bell fans, don't hold me accountable. But imagine, a, you know, Saturday at noon, Saturday at 4, and then a Sunday at 2 o'clock. So, you know, you're really coming into town and you're trying to bring an all-star weekend type feel to every single regular season game. And I do think that's going to help the, the product on the field as well. You know, when you're playing in front of a thousand people in the same stadium and it's the same a thousand people, which unfortunately has kind of been the way it's been for pro lacrosse. Um, it's, it's whether we want to admit it or not, it's tougher to get up. You know, when you go into a stadium and there is an event like atmosphere and all the best players are in the world are there and, you know, you're on national TV. Um, I do think it's going to elevate the level of training and, and the level of play um, on the field from guys. And, and, you know, it's a challenge in terms of ticket sales to get to get fans out for three games. But you've seen the success that the NCAA Final Four can have um, going to a city and having, you know, the semifinals, the Division Three semifinals, the championship, the Division Three championship all in one stadium over the course of the weekend. And I think that's really what they're trying to, to recreate. And, um, you know, I believe it's the right model for us. I think there's a time in the future where there is a following of the sport at the professional level that could allow us to move back and, and set up shop in cities. But I think for where we're at right now, in my experience here in Atlanta, you know, before pro lacrosse was here, there'd be one major college event or, you know, the, the, the professional championship was in town a couple of times and you'd get 10,000 people out at that event. And, you know, the, the two professional leagues moved in and all of a sudden all these college games started coming down and, you know, the market just hasn't shown the ability to show up. Um, you know, seven times in the summer for a professional lacrosse event the way that, that you would hope. So um, my just personal experience is that, that that is the right move for us and that is a model that could work. And, you know, they have a TV deal with, with NBC Sports. So, you know, being on national TV, um, you know, that Sunday game, that primetime game every weekend being televised and then having the All-Star game and the championship game televised on NBC, um, that's a huge, huge step forward for our sport. And the production capabilities that NBC can bring for people that are new to the sport that, you know, to help them follow the ball, to help them understand the rules. Um, I think that's a, a really important part of growing it and attracting new fans. Now, are you, um, are you going to do some more commentating? I think you've commentated on a few games. Is that something that you would like to do in the future? Um, no, pro probably not. Probably not. Um, I do enjoy doing it. I like to talk. Sometimes I talk too much, I think. <laughs> Um, and it's always fun. And so if a game is, is here in Atlanta and I can get on there and provide, uh, you know, some perspective to, to how cool it is and how important it is to have the game in Atlanta and things like that, I, I do like to do it. Like when I was young, I had, had dreams of being a broadcaster. But uh, at this point, I think uh, I've got other things in front of me. Because I was thinking that you could be the Joe Rogan for lacrosse, that you could, uh, you know, for USC, you know, I don't think it would be where it is without Rogan, you know, for somebody to who's actually – he never fought uh, in, in mixed martial arts, but he fought Taekwondo, and he understands that world. And I think it's important to have somebody who understands the world. I know you're playing still, but later on, maybe that's something to consider. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And, you know, I think we have a lot of great ambassadors in the sport. And, you know, a guy who I spend a lot of time with here locally is Miles Jones. And, and when I look at, you know, like what you're describing, and Miles is going to be broadcasting some games on, on uh, ESPN this college season, you know, he's a... a amazing person to kind of be that voice you know he has a massive following he's you know you know has that look of a, of a big time nfl nba player he's six five and he's 250 pounds i i've seen that up close and personal a couple times unfortunately and uh and he's extremely charismatic and he's you know very well spoken and so you know he's a guy that i think it, it when you look at the future could really kind of carry it and be that voice and you know for me I've really landed in a place, and I mentioned it, where you know I, I'm competitive, and I want to continue to win, and I want to continue to try to accomplish everything I can as a player, and obviously be a part of of growing the sport and taking it to the next level. But where I'm really passionate and, and have kind of found my love is in like, more on sharing the values and helping people understand how you can take the lessons from sports and apply them in your real life, and and that just comes from my own experience and my own ability to to grow as a person and and to find more happiness, to find less stress. Um, and ultimately to find more success by, you know, taking these lessons, learning about myself from the ups and downs of my lacrosse career and, and trying to apply them and use them the same way in, in my personal life. And is that what inspired you to do your YouTube channel? Because I see that I think I've watched uh, three of your videos. I'm not sure if there's more than that on the channel right now. But I really liked uh, you, you're focusing on mindset. 
And I think mindset is a part of sports where it does get um, some airplay, but I mean, you don't really hear about that from folks on ESPN or when you hear uh, about the headlines of a game, you just hear the box score. But I think that the mindset part of it is something that, like you said, can apply to everybody. Yeah, and so so appreciate the, the YouTube channel shout out there. So the Rat Chats was was started for exactly that. You know, I've um, my mom has worked in in leadership and personal development for her whole career, and over the last five years, I've kind of been introduced into that world and that line of work through her, um, primarily in the in the corporate space. And so, you know, backtrack a few years when I'm interested in kind of starting to get into that and learn about it, I'm thinking, well, maybe I can learn a little. From, from these leadership or personal development programs that she's teaching and I can try to figure out and create my own for sports. And so first step of that for me was to go through it was, hey, let's learn you know, what, what she's teaching and how she's going about it. And so I really dove in for a year. And what, what ended up happening in that year was you know, I really committed to my own personal development, to growing as a, a person myself. And it made a massive impact on my lacrosse career, my ability to deal with failure. You know, I, I became a better teammate. I think I became a better leader. Um, and that was translating into better performances and more wins for, for the teams that I played on and coached on. So as I was going through this experience, it, it kind of was an aha moment for me that, you know, this, this isn't different. You know, developing as a person directly translates to on-field performance. And I started to realize that I could also learn from all these highly emotional, highly intense, high expectation situations that I'm putting myself in in, in lacrosse. I can, I can learn about my weaknesses and I can use those to grow as a person to help me in the things that I'm going through off the field, my relationships or my career or the, you know, the, the stresses of life. So I really had an aha moment and got introduced to that line of work through that. And, and since then, I've been really committed to trying to you know, to trying to kind of drive my career in that direction. And I, I run what I call Scott Ratliff Leadership Academies here locally in Atlanta, where, you know, high school kids of, of um, you know, typically lacrosse backgrounds, but have worked with, with basketball and other athletes as well, will come in and, and it's essentially a, you know, a mental toughness workout program where I'm going to teach you to, you know, recognize and build awareness around the, the, the struggles that you get to, to see and primarily through sport, but we will certainly touch on in the classroom and in the home life as well. And how do I, I take these struggles and learn from them and grow from them and move past them and, and not let them stress me out or block me from you know accomplishing what I want to accomplish. So I've been about three years into kind of running these programs and I'm just looking to continue to grow you know my brand and, and ability to share these messages I have. And so that's the idea with the YouTube channel is just to kind of share some of the things I've learned and, and spread awareness around my work in, in that space. And um, I've gotten a chance to work you know with the Utah lacrosse program and, and a little bit with the Mercer lacrosse program in Richmond and some of these different schools. And um, so slowly but surely, I'm trying to just get these messages out and, and help make sure you know more and more athletes understand the opportunity that we have to learn from sport and to apply it you know well beyond the field and and also the opportunity we have to improve as people off the field and understand and see how that correlates to your performance and, and your leadership on the field and uh, I'm, I'm having a good time doing it and i'm learning a lot in the, in the youtube world so i think i'm up to five now um got to get another one up up this week hopefully so awesome. we're uh, slowly but surely we're getting there well, that's great, man. It's about uh, what I've found with mine. We're up to, I think, 20 episodes now. And so it's just about, um, you know, consistency and just, you know, just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. And you're, you'll gain traction. Definitely. I already see your views going up, you know, and I think it has a lot of value, not only for people in sport, but other folks as well. I, uh, I've been chronically ill for 30 years, ever since the age of 11, had like 20 surgeries, 50 hospital stays and hundreds of doctor's visits. And what I've found through the years is that there's a correlation between people who have like a, a chronic illness and then people who are pro athletes. And at first you wouldn't see a correlation between the two, but I think both have those massive ups and downs in emotions. You know, I call it like emotional friction that can have huge, you know, your mindset plays a huge role in your health as well as your performance. And also with dealing with physical inflammation as well. Do you find it helpful? What do you do to help manage inflammation from training? Because you're in a state of almost a chronic illness when you train so hard. And then when you go onto the field and you get beat up, you're almost in a, a state of constant recovery. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's such a good point. And, and understanding the impact that stress and that your mindset can have on your physical health is something that um, I think more and more 
people are starting to realize and starting to understand. And uh, in fact, the you know some of these personal development programs I've, I've mentioned that I've learned through my mom, um, they're rooted in you know in holistic healing and in, in in trying to get healthy from some of these chronic illnesses. And I've battled with you know I've been really lucky. I've never missed a game in my professional or college career due to injury, um, but I do battle with tendonitis in my wrists and, you know, the knees get sore and the hips get sore. And so really trying to understand the, the, the impact that just stress in my life can play into that and that my eating habits can play into that. And like, you know, as I mentioned, as I started to tackle some of the things maybe that I didn't even realize off the field that were, that were stressing me out you know, relationship issues or, you know, unhappiness with, with my job or my career path and some of these different things, as I started to really confront and, and work on and, and strengthen in those areas, it, it correlated to my performance on the field. And that came from energy level and just overall feeling of healthiness and excitement to be there. And so um, just understanding that, I try to just make sure I, I make it a part of my day. I try to make sure I make it a part of my week. You know, I'm constantly trying to recognize what are the things that are pushing my buttons what are the things that are stressing me out and what is that showing me about myself what you know where, what can I learn about my you know my, my, my impatience or my judgment or whatever else and so I'm constantly trying to, to identify and work on those areas because I think the more that we bury our stresses or you know we hide from some of the things about ourselves that we don't want to confront we don't want to work on over long term you know that's going to affect your physical health and so I think about it a lot with my tendon that my wrist flares up and I'm like oh what am I stressing about right now? And obviously there's more to it than that. I mentioned the healthy eating and, and really just the healthy living, but I just try to keep awareness around it. I, I like to do yoga. You know, I've, I've certainly changed the way I train and, and that, that's what has to happen as you get older. You go from really, you know, training hard to get better to a lot of it come, becomes about recovery um, and making sure you're, you're ready to play every Saturday. And so, you know, I do spend a lot more time on stretching. I do spend a little a bit of time on meditation you know I love to write um and, and then again for me coaching and just being on the lacrosse field is kind of that that release and, and obviously the games can be stressful but um I find that to be a huge part of my health as well that I make sure that I get outside and I uh and I have that stick in my hands and, and I usually feel better when I do yep and being outside I think is important too we've been disconnected I read somewhere that I can't remember what it was a meme of something that we've been disconnected from our food source we've been disconnected from nature we've been disconnected from each other and I think that sport is a great way just to be outside. Even if I was reading up on sports that even if you're not good at it, you know, a lot of times, you know, people aren't going to make it to the professional level, but you can still gain all these benefits of reconnecting with really your primal self. Now, are you, do you recognize that as well, that it's an outlet for all of these emotions that are built upon these ancestral pathways that we have that really don't have a good outlet in modern society? Yeah, I think that's exact. I mean, I think that's exactly right. It's that, you know, it's that desire to compete. Um, you know, I love a, I love a quote from a, from a football coach, uh, Coach Harbaugh at Michigan. He's like, the body craves contact. And, you know, I think it's true. And, and I think that that's where it's, it's kind of a release in that, where if you do have some, some pent-up aggression or some pent-up energy, it's a positive outlet, you know, to push that energy into and um you know it's going to make you healthier it's going to make you better so I, I do think that there's some aspect of that in sports and you know i've worked with a lot of kids who you know have seen their awareness level raised right they go in with maybe these expectations or maybe you're really good at, at the youth level but as you get to high school all of a sudden it's not panning out the way you had maybe hoped and you're not succeeding as much and what we work on a lot is getting back to okay but what is our why for playing why why are we why are you playing are you playing so that all your friends in school think you're really good at something and you can go do, you know, and you can say, I'm going to do this at the next level. And if that's your why, you're not going to succeed at the next level when the expectations rise. And, and, and so really examining that and realizing, no, the reason I'm playing is because I freaking love being out here because it's freeing, because I can express myself, because I can hit somebody, because I can, I can be creative. And I think when, when we, when they get back to spearing the sport like that is when it can turn back to be a medicine and you're not putting these pressures on exactly what you need to get out of it in terms of a wins losses awards whatever but you're really just trying to get out of it a great two hours of your day every day you know our coach at Loyola coach Toomey used to always talk about that this should be the best time of your day and even when there's high expectations and I know I certainly coach my kids very hard and we want to win and and all of that never losing sight of that of that really though let's let's be real it's it's Atlanta Georgia degrees it's sunny and i'm out here with with all people i love playing an awesome sport and and so never losing sight of that and making sure that whether you want to be that next professional player or you're doing it for 
on, I still think that's the reason you should be playing. And, and I, you know, I truly believe, and I think this is lost in a lot of high level athletes. You're going to be better if that's the reason you're playing, you know, people think because you grow up being taught that, you know, the Michael Jordan or Kobe, and you have to be this intense, extreme competitor and you can't lose mentality. And it's just not true. You know, there's times and places for that, but you need to be able to take that competitive energy channel it into something positive, you know, not bring it home with you and be losing sleep or losing self-confidence because of what you are or aren't doing on an athletic field. So helping, uh, you know, helping young people or, or really anybody to understand that balance, uh, I think can help a lot of people to, to stay healthy and to uh, continue to find love and joy out of sports, which is frankly really what it's all about. It is. And that's what it, and that's what the whole human experience is about. I think sports is one of the greatest inventions that humans have ever created because it's a peaceful way to cooperate and compete and learn those lessons. Now, as far you mentioned diet and your tendonitis, have you, have you tried like the keto or carnivore diet or the paleo diet, like cutting back on carbs or grains or what do you do particularly to address that? Yeah, you get, you're getting into my, my, so, you know, there's been probably the biggest part of, of my professional athletic career that I think I've really needed to improve on. And so frankly, up until this year, it has been much more than like an awareness around I'm trying to eat healthy. And for, for changes for me, I've always been one to try to make really small, realistic changes and compound those and get better over time. Um, you know, I've never been one to say I'm going to do this for a month or I'm going to just try this for a period of time. Because to me, it's like if that's if you're not creating a change that's sustainable, what's the point of that? So, um you know, so what I first kind of, this goes back probably two years, the first really conscious change I made was cutting out soda. Um, and, you know, since then, and I was able to kind of get through that and stick with that. And, and since then, I've tried to just chop away at it. And um, I probably made my, my biggest jump this year. And, and what, what I really find that works is, um, you know, it's, it's not the keto because I do eat the carbs, but it's just going with meat and veggies as much as possible. And, and you know, I do with the amount that I train and exercise. I try to not make a pasta or a rice with it all the time, but I, I will a lot of times, especially at dinner, because I just can't seem to get the energy um, if I don't. But it's just getting away from eating processed foods, getting away from eating out. I mean, I'm really on those early stages of, of taking care of my diet where I'm stop ordering pizza, you know, stop eating, <laughs> stop eating out for Chick lunch every single day and, and just get into Exactly, exactly. The Chick-fil-A. So um, I've been able to do that. And, and, I've, and I've noticed it, you know, I always said for how much I train, my body doesn't look like what I feel like it should. And I'm starting to see that change. And I know that's a direct result of the diet. But I also know that it's not easy. You know, when you're working and you're running around, it's it can be hard. So um, I do thinking, you know, I, I am a big uh, proponent of, you know, small, small, realistic changes, start with something that you can sustain. Once you feel like that's become a habit, add on to it. And, and that's really where I've gotten to and like said now I'm, I pretty much just focus on you know only eating at home and it's chicken or, or chicken sausage and it's veggies and it's you know rice or pasta and that's pretty much it for me what do you think about goal setting and making these small changes how long do you find that it takes for something to stick like a behavior change to stick for you yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's different uh, all across the board. Um, but I, I really think that if it's something that you're consciously doing and you're committing to, I think it's a, a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think with with a lot of the, the the personal development programs that we teach, you know, and I'll have kids come in, whether it's once a week or once every two weeks, you know, once I introduce this idea of, hey, here's a new habit we're going to develop. Anytime, you know, you're stressed out about something, you're going to try, you know, try thinking this way. And the first week, a lot of times it's, yeah, we're starting to remember it. By the second or the third week, I, I, you know, it's clear that, that you can understand it, you can apply it, and it's starting to become a habit. Um, and, and I find the same thing with a lot of these changes. You know, I came home after a, a trip over the New Year's, and I said, okay, I'm done eating out, essentially, you know, and I'm going to start to get this done. And, you know, I probably had to work for it for a week or two, but now it's like I'm without thinking of it after practice, I'm at the grocery store and then I'm home and it's, it's really become a habit. So I don't think it's much longer than that for most things that if you can really commit to it and be conscious about it for two to three weeks, it can, it can pretty quickly turn into a habit. What about uh, the idea of flow state when you play? Is that part of the reason why you play to get into those moments of being in the zone where everything else just falls away? And I think that's something that's hard to, con like kids I think are like that all the time until they start to age, you know, in the 10 to 12 age range and then they're in school and then they have all this out external pressures on them where they can't feel that flow state as much anymore and I think sports is a great way to recapture that feeling that I think as kids we all have. 
Yeah, no, that that's a great point. You know, I think the flow state is right when we're dreaming at night, our brain is functioning faster than it is during the day. So, you know, the human conscious is slowing down our, our level of thinking. And so I think when you hit that flow state in the game, is it's that point where you're turning your, your, your conscious off. You know, you're not talking to yourself. You're not listening to yourself. You're reacting. So for me to be able to hit that flow state, it starts with having great habits because, um, you know, when you, when, when you get into intense or, or, or trying situations, you fall to the level of your habits. You, you don't, you know, I think a lot of people think, right, adrenaline can make you rise and do extraordinary things. And that's true. But you're not on an adrenaline rush for, for 60 minutes of a game. You're just not. There's ups and downs and everything else. So um, you need to have those habits developed. And I think when you have really strong habits and then you get into these moments, it becomes easier to enter the flow state because you're relying on these habits and it's working and it's working. So you're just thinking less and less. And, you know, in a team sport, something I, I talk a lot about is trust. You know, when you trust your teammates and trust your coaches, again, it becomes much easier to reach that state. You're not thinking so much. You're listening and trusting and reacting. And the more you do that, I think the more you enter it. And, you know, I've, I've always been able to find that, that flow state that you're describing regularly. And, you know, for me, it's always come from running in the trails. And I live close to the Chattahoochee you know, National Park. And I've, since I was a little kid, I've gone and run in those trails. And you know, I would always describe this runner's high. And it's cool because as I get older and I study more into the, the biology behind it and understand that it you know it is a real thing and, and it has to cortisol or the release and everything else but you know that that, that state of mind is where I was always happiest where and, and I felt that I could find it running in the trails because you know running around a track you don't have to pay attention to every step you're running and you can look around and you're thinking or whatever else you're in the trails and there's roots and there's branches and there's everything else I mean you're looking every step that's all you're thinking about what's the next step where do I have to put my foot I'm leaning away from this branch so when you can find things that captivate your thoughts in that way, I think you can enter into the flow state. And, and that's why, again, for me, sports like lacrosse and basketball, um, I never played hockey, but I think that's another one that does have this creative aspect to it that does have so many different moving parts and pieces going on. It doesn't have the stoppages in play. They really allow me to kind of get into that state and find that. One. What is, what is right in front of me and what, is, what do I have to do right here? And I'm not kind of thinking or, or trying to evaluate everything else. And when you have good coaching and good practice habits, um, you know, that flow state usually works out for you pretty well on the field. And I think that's a good point, too. I think especially young men, you know, we have an issue with young men having a lot of mental issues, you know, in the teenage years and also young girls now, too. Unfortunately, the suicide rate for young women is has gone up really dramatically. The numbers are relatively small compared to men, but there's still an, you know, a huge uptick. And a lot of people are blaming like social media and those type of things. But I think part of it is the lack of um, competitive sports, the lack of PE and those creative outlets that people need to enjoy that flow state. Because I think humans are built to find flow state in your life in whatever way that you can. And when you're denied that over and over again, by either the uh, the schooling system or your parents in the home life, then it becomes life becomes really really tough really fast. Yeah, and I think for me that comes back to you know that comes back to stress. It's a it's an outlet for stress. It's a way to relieve stress, and and I think that we all need that. And you know the other place that I feel like really could impact that is is the education system. You know we're not taught in school how to deal with our thoughts and with our emotions we're just not you know you're taught how to learn you're taught how to read answer questions do practice questions fail and get things right you know even in sports you're taught how to um how to lose and how to get over it and you develop toughness but where is the the course where we're being taught hey if you're thinking this you know in, in sports it's hey be tough it's just get up you know in school it's just be nice you know just be kind well what if i don't feel like being kind what if i'm super stressed so I don't think we're really given the skill sets and, and that's something that for so long we've relied on parents. You know, you basically learn that skill set from from your parents. And um, you know, I, I think that's why we see a lot of those problems is is we're not teaching it to kids. And and I, as I've done these leadership academies, you know, the capacity that young people have to understand awareness, to under you know, to be able to say, identify what it is that's stressing me out, why it's stressing me out, and then to apply some thinking workouts. You know, we can get better at managing our thoughts and our emotions and our and our habits the same way we get better at practicing lacrosse or getting you know learning math. So for me, it's it's a huge part that's missing in 
our system is to help people to understand, you know, if you are dealing with stress or you are dealing with anxiety, you know, as an athlete, I've only known one way to get better at things my whole life, and that's repetition. Finding opportunities to practice, rep, 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 rep. You know, you don't you don't rep something once. I don't go to the weight room once and curl and then walk out and now I'm strong. But I just know and believe and trust that if I do that over and over again, I am going to get strong. Well, I think it's the same way for people that deal with stress and anxiety in their life. It's you're not going to be able to just fix it. You can't go to one webinar. You can't go listen to one speaker and, and you're magically just going to get better. You have to learn how to rep this thing. You have to be able to pick out all these moments that are stressing you out, identify what's stressing you and how you're feeling and then practice it in that moment. And don't put the expectation that I'm gonna just be better. Put the expectation that if I practice this for a year, for two years, for 10 years, I am gonna eventually be a master at it and I am gonna get better at it. And you know, I've gotten to experience that a little bit in my own family and I've mentioned going through things myself and, and seeing it myself and, and um, you know, my, talking with my sister, talking with my mom, talking with my dad, as they, they've all gone through different things and we've all kind of applied that strategy to it. Um, you know, my sister has gone through, through issues with anxiety before and, and, you know, she's been able to work on it through that and, and through repetition and through practice. So um, that's a really important thing for me is, is to try to spread that message and help people understand that, you know, some of those anxieties and some of those issues can be improved the same way you improve anything else you want to improve in your life. And that's through practice and through failure and learning and, and getting better. And I go back to why sports is such a great outlet for that, because if I teach the kid how to recognize you know, when he's lost a game, you know, why it's upsetting him and how to get better at it, well, then I can say, hey, don't you see how that can apply when you fail a test or when you get yelled at by mom and dad or here or here or here? And now all of a sudden you have 10 different opportunities in your day to practice building some of these habits and some of these emotional skills. And I think that's where you can really make a, a long-term impact and see people grow. And I think, too, it's, it's not only for kids but for adults, too, because, you know, everybody struggles with those ups and downs. And I think the lessons of sport – um, sometimes as we age, we forget those, you know, whether you've had, sometimes it might be a negative experience with sports, like, uh, some, some people have, but overall, I think it's a, a positive way to, for kids to spend their time to learn the, the virtues and values that you were just talking about. Now, Scott, where, where can people find you on social media and, uh, you, the work that you're doing with your, your give and go foundation and also with your leadership work? Yeah, so obviously I'm, you know, I'm on Instagram and, and Twitter. It's uh, Scott Ratliff two on Instagram and srat two on Twitter. The best place to find me is uh, I do have a website. It's um, scottrat.com, s-c-o-t-t-r-a-t.com, and uh, you can kind of get linked up to uh, to the Giving Go Foundation's website, to my work in, in leadership and personal development, to the Premier Lacrosse League. Um, and everything else I've got going on. So that's a great place to to try to connect, and um, I'd encourage people to reach out and and. and I always love uh, connecting and interacting, especially on these topics. So I uh, appreciate you reaching out and giving me the opportunity to come on, and hopefully we can do it again sometime. Maybe when I get the Rat Chats podcast going, I can uh, I can return the favor and invite Dude, you that, over. That would be fantastic. Anytime, anytime, Scott. I, I'd be glad to do that. I urge everybody to go to scottrat.com. Check out what Scott's up to because these les life lessons are not just for sport. They're not just for kids. They're for everybody. And I think we can all use reminders of the things we probably already know, but the things we're not practicing. So I really appreciate your time today, Scott, and all the great information. Yep. Thanks again for having me on. Had a blast. Yeah, definitely. And thank you, everybody, for listening today. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye.